I always say you got you can't live in the past, and the past kind of makes you who you are now, but it doesn't define who you are. Welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Daryl Collins, who joins us to talk about his experiences with therapy and also how he has experienced mental illness in the past. This episode does have references to childhood trauma and suicide. So if you are affected by any of the things that we've discussed today, please use the Burnt Chef support service by texting Burnt Chef to 85258 and we'll have a trained volunteer text you back within five minutes. Thank you and I hope you enjoy the chat. Lamb Weston are your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. How are you doing? Not too bad, Daryl. How are you? Good, not too bad. Getting there. Good good to see you uh, rocking the Burnt Chef hoodie. How's it feel? Yeah, yeah it feels great. It's nice. It's well built. As I say, I'm a, I'm a great fan of hoodies and obviously you get them and they're like really crap material, but this is, uh, I can see this sticking on my body for a long time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the only downside to them is I think you end up wearing them so frequently that you need to replace them a lot sooner than other clothing. So yeah, <laughs> shame, <laughs> shameless plug there, but luckily I've got an un, a relatively unlimited supply, but yeah, I've, uh, I've yeah. worn some threadbare already. So um, <laughs> thanks ever so much for, for joining me today. No problem. It's a good opportunity for our listeners to hear a whole wealth of experience and different stories from people's backgrounds, especially talking openly about mental health and well-being and different people's experiences, because it's unique to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as a as a as a key sort of fact of that, we want to try and explore as many different stories as possible, and and hopefully it means that anyone out there who might be in a similar sort of boat then can can relate and know that they're not alone. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, fully understand, and you know, my my story is probably one of thousands of stories out there and people and it's just one of those unfortunate things that as chefs we don't or as men in general also we, we don't talk enough about what's going on in our lives and it ends up building up and you know and, and for some people it's too much um as it was for me at, at, at the time so yeah. yeah so take me back to begin with sort of explain to me uh sort of when you when did you get into hospitality how old were you and and give me a, a sort of a brief overview of of your career within hospitality to date yeah um so i kind of fell into um uh chefing a, well I, I can't remember actually how old it was or maybe around 24 uh 23 24 um and i moved to cornwall uh from derby bit of a rough lad i was back then so you know, in and out of trouble, in and out of prison. Um, so we decided to move to Cornwall and get out of the sort of, you know, um, the way I was living then. Because um, if I hadn't moved out, out of then, I would have been either in prison or I would have been in debt, you know, dead. And that was the that was the long and short of it. Uh, so we moved to Cornwall. Um, I then, um, 
I then got a job in I did I did a factory job for a while. We lived on lived in a tent for about ten weeks on the beach uh, with with my wife at the time, um, and then um, I got a job as a KP or a kitchen hand in a little cafe um, called the Compass Rose in in Porth, and that was under my Taekwondo uh, master who took me under his wing also because uh, he knew I didn't have any money, but he obviously saw something in me then, um, you know, so he was training me plus I was working for him. Unfortunately, I wasn't a, a good person, uh, a relationship wise to work for at the time because my head, my ego was, you know, up there and I, I just wasn't taking any, any, um, I don't know. I didn't like being told what to do at the time. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, and then I, I went to a place called the Dragon Hotel and started washing dishes there. Um, and then the third chef then, because I didn't have, it was just first, second um, and third chef, um, couldn't make instant custard. So, I mean, I, I, I've cooked for myself a few times and instant custard is instant custard, but he, I mean, every time he was doing it, it was just, you know, balls in and up. And I said, well, you know, just make a paste first and add, add your milk and then heat it up. And that's, you know, that's it. But the, the um, head chef at the time saw that and said, well, fired him and put me in his, in his place. Um, Cause I was, I was, you know, I was a good KP. Um, but uh, yeah. And then I was sort of thrown in a deep end making uh, 10 trolley desserts um, at a time um, every day and sort of looking after that. And then uh, that's kind of where it all started. So um yeah and then from there I've always been a head chef no matter where I've gone and it's always or head pastry chef no matter where I've gone because you know back then it was, especially Cornwall it was a, definitely like a surfer mentality attitude down here um so it's very very easy sort of to go into these positions and, and get his experience what you need even though I was still quite a young um chef um but I was I was good at taking control of you know the areas that I needed to do um, but unfortunately, um, the food that I wanted to do, I wanted to do Michelin star. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do really high level. And there was only a couple of um, Michelin star places, which was Nathan Outlaws uh, and uh, Ripley, um, Ripley's. Uh, but they were small. I ended up doing a little bit of work with, with Nathan as his dishwash so I could gain some knowledge uh, for about uh, three or four months. Um, and then I, I moved back to Birmingham um, to get as much experience as I can. And that's kind of when my, my career sort of moved quite fastly there. Um, and I, you know, I went to some nice places and ended up at, uh, for the last five years at um, Resorts World, where I did the Bake Off professionals and, you know, and things were going swimmingly, very good. And then COVID hit. Oh, no, crikey. I mean, it sounds like sounds like you got into the industry a little bit later than than most fall into the industry is sort of sort of 15 16 and some even start working in that before although those days sort of have changed a little bit so i mean what what drew you to to hospitality during quite a quite a difficult time from the sound of things yeah um i, I find it was something i didn't know i could i could do you know because I, I never found my sort of place in in the working world um and i, I did bar jobs and uh, you know bits and pieces door-to-door -door salesman, yeah, I just hated all of them, literally every single one. Chefing gives you that, that, that feeling of, of family. You're, you're in a team, you're in a brigade, and once you're, you know, and no matter where, this is no matter where you go, um, yeah, 
things might be really difficult and really hard, but you're all a part of the team at the end of the day and you're all shaking each other's hand, giving each other's hugs and having a beer after work. And, and that that sort of companionship is, is kind of what I was looking for. And the, the total change from day to day, you know, you weren't, you're not stuck in this doing the same thing. Yeah, the menu changes from season to season, but you still have to master those seasons and you still you know and no matter where you go everything's different they want different um so for me and being a gemini and having a low attention span pastry was probably the most ideal thing because i could always create something new and keep going and keep going and looking for inspiration um so i mean for you know and i i think that's for a lot of chefs um it's it's the buzz of of being in that environment when it's, it's full on it's, it's going 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 and you have to be a, you have to be a certain type of character to be a chef i don't think it's for everyone and you can't just put somebody in there because one person will hate it one person will absolutely love it there's no there's no in between um so you, and that's it you love it or you hate it i absolutely love it so i don't think you know i'm 48 now um but I don't think, I, and I've never lost the passion for pastry. I've always a huge um, passion for it, and I still have, you know. Um, and I think a lot of chefs never lose it. But when you get to a certain age, you don't want to be doing the, the, the daily grind, as it were. And I do more teaching than I do um, the, the night stuff. But yeah, no, I, I still love it. It's an interesting story. I mean, crikey, the, the the beginning bit about you sort of living on the beach for, you say, 10, ten weeks? Yeah, 10 weeks it was. Um, I mean, even before that, you know, I, I wasn't living rough, but I wasn't living in a good in a good way. Um, and I, I met my wife um, and she was at university and she decided to kind of leave university and go and live in, in Cornwall. And she went first. And then I decided, you know, what, what am I doing in Derby? Um, you know, I was getting into trouble all the time. Um, so I sold all my stuff, got a got a tent um, and a rucksack, sleeping bag, um, a bit a bit of cash, and hitchhike all the way down to to Newquay. Uh, and then we we both ended up staying just in a tent. She had a, a beetle back then, so we were just driving around in the beetle and looking for camping spots uh, and just living off. Uh, uh, I think we went daffodil picking and things like that for, for 10 weeks, which is, it was good. It was sunny, almost got hit by lightning twice because um, we, we uh, camped near a one of the poles in Hollywell Bay um, and almost died. So, but yeah, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> madness, absolutely <laughs> madness. Also very liberating at the same time, I can imagine, like, you know, not having to conform to the rules of society so much and you pretty much come and go as you please it must be quite uh, quite an experience yeah yeah i mean it's, it's freedom isn't it I, there's no worries there's no there was no rent to pay there was no council tax there's no gas electricity we woke up we ate we went to the pub you know every time we went definitely picking because that was cash in hand back then um so you know we just if we wanted to work we'd work if we didn't want to work we didn't have to work so if I could have sustained that all my life and you know it's one of those things that's always stuck in my mind that I may eventually just go and buy a, a big van and live in that because it's it's the constraints at the moment especially now um and the furlough thing um you, you you're kind of kind of tied in and locked into this sort of although you might have a nice flat it's still four walls and you know there's only it's like a groundhog day go in go out go in go out do a bit of cooking 
but yeah, that, that freedom is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, COVID certainly made us realise that perhaps sometimes there is more to life than just doing the same thing day in, day out. And if it wasn't for money, I wonder how many of us would be doing what we do. But, you know, yeah. I, I travelled around Portugal a couple of years back, um, just in a van, and it was it was so class. It gave me such a <laughs> sense of freedom and just literally every morning you'd wake up try and work out where you were to begin with then point and shoot in a different direction and off you go and then you'd spend you know 24 hours there and if you liked it you stayed longer and if you didn't you carried on going and i was convinced the nomad's life was the one for me but um my wife had other ideas so same with me (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah yeah Talk to me about sort of why you wanted to, to come onto the Burnt Surf Journal and sort of talk about your experiences. Yeah, um, I, you know, I went, I went through quite a rough period, uh, like many, um, last November, um, where, you know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it, that I was, I was in the state of mind that so many things have gone badly wrong in that year um, that I wanted to end it all. Um, and I, you know, I was I was in a, a, a proper down spiral after, you know, having such a, a good career, and the, the career that I was having at the time um, was moving up quite fast, um, and we was getting, you know, to a lot of um, a lot of good heights with having chef um, chef collaborations, you know, we have it was having um, our own uh, patisserie coming up. Um, you know, there was a lot. I had a great team to work with. Um, we, we was very well known in Birmingham. Um, and, you know, um, and I was still am, you know, I still got contacted by the chefs asking me to go up and do things, um, which, which will still carry on. But at the time, you know, it was one of those things that I should have maybe opened my mouth and talked to somebody way before, you know, things, things went really bad and dark. Um, and I, you know, like everyone, I've had, we've all had sort of down times and it goes in peaks and troughs, you know, um, and that, that's part of what chefing also, because it, it's not a, it's not plain sailing, as we say, it, it's quite hard work and quite uh, stress, you know, well, it's a very stressful job. Um, so, yeah, um, and that's why I thought, you know, I, I, I do, I, I write blogs and I do, I write my own journals as well um, to help me sort of understand where I've sort of, um, I wouldn't say gone wrong because it's just just one of those things that happens and me understanding trying to understand myself more is is one of those processes I think we all could do with um kind of learning from and and understanding um that you, you're not alone uh, at all and ever and you, we've all got great friends and I'd, I'd hate to think also that I wasn't there for that person if they were having a bad time um so the more I can sort of put out there and say you know you, you're not alone you're not you're not um fighting this this thing on your own you, you know it's, it's but it was also easy for me to say that and then that other person doesn't hear that they they hear something else they they don't want to pick up the phone they don't want to do this so then at that same point it's our responsibility then to sort of you know phone them contact them talk to them so yeah that was it really yeah i mean it's um Mental health is such a taboo subject still with regards to 
many people misunderstanding mental health to the degree that it actually impacts their ability to speak up and ask for help. And I guess that's where you sort of found yourself uh, in last November, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, from the first lockdown, you think, you know, things we had everything planned for the year, but, you know, we had Stuart Dealey, um, uh, who wanted, you know, was going to do a collab with him. We'd, we'd done uh, Chills uh, up in Birmingham. Um, and we had a couple of others um, ready, lined up to do all these uh, uh, great nights. And we had a patisserie just about to go. Um, and then we was going to push more on the social for the, the, the actual uh patisserie side for the resort as we were sort of or i was and the potato pastry team were the head for resorts and we we were the go-to um so yeah everything was planned and then covid well I'll, I'll start a bit back before then on january uh i split up with my uh wife after 20 25 years of marriage so that that you know had had a, an impact but it was something that was sort of i knew was coming and we both knew we, we sort of fell out fell out of love and there's no point carrying on um, but also at the same time I had quite a severe back injury uh, with sciatica so I was sort of bedridden for four weeks so I couldn't work um, and then yeah and then going back to work after that for a very short period of time getting everything ready and then Covid hit um, and then I was moving out at the same time um, then COVID hit and you think, oh yeah, this is only going to last for a month. Um, and so you treat it as a holiday and then it just kept going on and on and on. So eventually, you know, I, you know, I was, I got a letter from uh, Genting saying you, you're on the list for potential redundancies. Um, you know, and, and at that, at that point, I thought, well, after five years of solid work for that company um, and they've just given up that easily. I'm not saying it's, uh, the resort people there, but the big boss in Malaysia just decided well, good scapegoats shut the place down because it took us a while to sort of make money for that company. But we were uh, making money and money was coming in. Uh, so, yeah, that that hurt quite a lot. Um, and again, I didn't tell anyone that it, that it, it, it shook me or, you know, um, did this and did that. Um, I just sort of kept it all in and same, same with the marriage, same with the back and, and stuff. Um, and they also all had, all had a, a quite quite a large effect. Um, and everyone's, you know, even though I was posting um, pictures out my window of it being nice because I live on the beach and so forth, um, they, they kind of see my life as all hunky-dory and, and going well. Um, so anyway, after all of that, and I was made redundant, uh, all my team dispersed. I didn't really get a chance to see my team and say goodbye properly. We just had to do it over over WhatsApp, which was a bit sad. Um, then I tried to, you know, start up my own business down here, uh, doing afternoon teas, uh, which went really well. It was very hard work doing sort of the level of patisserie that I do, um, but I was doing it. It was something that kept me focused and, and it was selling well. Um, and then obviously, covid relaxed and then everyone sort of went on holiday and and disappeared so the, the industry dived down a little bit um and i you know and then i was offered a job which i'm still i'm still on furlough for but my, my mind then was just frazzled it was just absolutely i, I didn't know where to turn to and you always, it, the main thing you worry about is, is the cash and making sure you can pay the rent every month mm. um 
And you know, when you're in furlough and you, you've lost 30% or 20% or whatever it is of your money and you're struggling on a day to day to pay for the car, to pay gas, to pay electric, your rent around here is ridiculous. So um, yeah, um, and that all sort of came. And then I, I was sort of seeing a girl as well um, at the time and she, yeah, unfortunately just messed my head right up. And that was my breaking point then. Um, and I just went on a complete downward spiral. Um, and yeah, and I kept on driving out to the sea thinking, you know, should I just walk in and not sort of come back out of the sea and, or should I, you know, do myself in, in the bath or, or what? Um, yeah. And I, you know, I shouldn't have been thinking like that at all. Um, and then I decided that I needed to seek help for that. Um, so in well, January, I didn't seek help till January. Um, and unfortunately, the government, well, you know, trying to seek help from the government itself, uh, you know, they said they could help me, but they can't help me till this March. So I've been up and paid for a private therapist, uh, which has helped a great deal. And it's made me kind of understand myself more um, and try not to be hard on myself because, you know, I haven't, I haven't failed, uh, which I thought I had done at the time. Um, it's just the catalogue of incidents that have happened it, were out of my control. Uh, and that's what, you know, I, I suppose that's what everyone's got to kind of look at it. It's they're out of your hands and trying to worry about the future when things haven't happened yet. It's what I was doing. And you're just constantly going around in your head thinking, well, it's not going to get any better. This is not going to happen. But they haven't happened yet. So, you know, I, I can't control the future and I can't control what's happening now. So, you know, and that, that's what I've got pretty much out of out of my darkness. Um, 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 it is a lot lighter. It is a lot lighter. Is that something that you're still partaking in currently? You're still uh, seeking sort of the private counselling services? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do every, I, th I think it's, I'm going to do it uh, with me. I've got quite a bit of background. I haven't, it's not just this year. Um, you know, I, I, my mother died at a very early age when I was 11. My brother died when he was uh, 23, I was 21. Um, again, I've had my stepsister die not last year, year before of cancer. Um, and these things, I, I, you know, I've always, I've always put to the back of my head, um, you know, um, and, you know, I'm not afraid to say that I was abused when I was uh, seven years or uh, 17 years old uh, by a social worker. Um, and, and you just, everything just is gone. You know, I've lived on the streets when I was younger. Um, you know, lots, lots of, lots of stuff really that uh, I need to understand that you know, it's always, I always say you got, you can't live in the past and the past kind of makes you who you are now, but it doesn't define who you are. Um, but I need to understand that more. Uh, so I will carry on with the therapy. We do, I do it every two weeks. Um, uh, and it, you know, although we haven't dug that far, but she's, you know, makes me understand that, you know, whatever I'm thinking, and I, I find it awkward talking, or I find it difficult talking still, even though I know her. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I sometimes she'll, she'll do it like a, a deathly silence. And I'm just like, uh, mm. and then she goes, what's happening now then? And I'm like, I don't know, it's just a bit awkward really. But she then she knows there's something, um, on my mind and eventually I, I, I say it without a, without me realising that it's there so yeah oh it's definitely massively important I think talking is 
is huge, huge importance. Um, and to get it out, um, you know, I think that's what we all need to learn, really. Without without talking or letting things build up, it's it's not going to help you in, in the long run. No, no. And we're, we're, we're never taught emotional intelligence or um, to discuss how we feel at an early age, irrespective of almost many people's backgrounds, we're always taught, you know, our role models tend to be our fathers or strong male, male role models. Um, yeah. but for, for, for men and for, for women, sometimes it's a bit of both. But, you know, I think certainly from, from a male perspective, we're never really taught to share any emotion. We're never taught to sort of talk about anything. We just sort of bottle it up and go, right, you know, that's fine. No one else deals with this, this issue. Um, but it's interesting to, to hear you sort of say that, you know, it's all, it's about controlling the controllables and not taking responsibility for, you know, things that are far beyond your control, but sometimes it can be overwhelming, especially if you're experiencing one thing after another, after another. So yeah. I'm interested to learn. Um, I mean, I've, I've been to therapy myself, um, and I found it extremely beneficial cognitive behavioral therapy and. And I had a sounds like a, a similar sort of experience to yourself. But for those that haven't um, looked at therapy or would perhaps be more interested to learn what to expect if they were to look at therapy, what could you uh, what could you sort of say in terms of what your experience with it is? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's very, you know, I think people look at therapy and say, oh, I must be sick if, I, if I'm if I'm going to go and take therapy or the doctors advise me to take therapy or, you know, there's some, a lot of people think there's a lot of, there's something wrong with them because they need to go to therapy. And that, that is a stigma that needs to be shut off totally. I mean, Americans, they do therapy like they, they take sweets because they know it's a form that if you, if you can get to understand yourself from another person's perspective, you're, you know, it, it can open doors for you. It can open your mind a lot more. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, um, meditation is one of those things that they, they, they suggest. I, I mean, I've got, like I say, I've got such a short tension span, um, but I do write things down. And although I don't hand write, but I find that I can keyboard write better because it, I can get more emotion out of it that I feel. But, you know, there's writing, they, they tell you a lot of things about yourself that you kind of know, but you don't want to maybe agree with. Um, and it's all, you, you know everything that you're telling you, um, but it just brings it out and gives you a whole heap more understanding. I, I find it's very relaxing. After I've had a session, I'm more aware of myself. Um, and that can only be a good thing for everyone. Uh, and I would say, you know, if you're having any difficulty and if you don't want to talk to your friends or, or your, your, your close relatives, which people find it harder to talk to them, Talking to somebody that you don't know is a whole lot heap better. Um, if you can get on a, a sort of um, a government one, that's great, but they're not great at the moment because everyone, they're, they're overwhelmed at the moment. So, I mean, I pay, I think, £40 a session for an hour, which which is a lot when you, when you ain't got much coming in. But it's helping me. And it was every week, but obviously with with uh, furlough I'll, I'll reduce it down to every two weeks but it you know the, the therapy helps a heaps and i would say i would recommend it to anyone because you are talking to a non-judgmental person and there's no pressure for you to actually talk you can actually sing you can take guitar in you can draw and 
while they talk to you um you know it's, it's the, the session's up to you they're not there to judge you in any way shape or form they just want to help you understand yourself yeah that's very true and that's the same with um is it cognitive behavioral therapy you're going through i'm going through tra trauma therapy okay yeah. okay i mean it's i don't know how that differs in terms of cbt it's probably yeah i think it's probably um quite close to that yeah but it's uh it's interesting the way in which the there's something that I talk to students about um, when they ask me, like, how do you how do we engage with someone who is maybe suffering with their mental health? And I always say to them to use silence and they, they find that a bit of a, a strange, strange concept. Yeah. But, you know, once you've asked an initial question, it's that silence yeah. and that gap in between that as human yeah. beings, we have to fill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I was saying. You know, when she she says something, and then there's that she just sort of stares, and I'm like, uh, and it, although it is a bit awkward at the start, and you you don't know what to say at the first instance, but then once that silence grows, you're like, it, it comes out. It is so true. But yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And the best analogy that I can I can think of for. for you know anyone that might be struggling or thinking that whether or not they should be looking at this themselves is like you know the best analogy i, I thought of this today while chatting to, again some more colleges down at bournemouth and paul and i said to them think of it like you're putting away a case of lemons in the in the cold store right you've got one lemon left in that box in the cold store and it's moldy and green and you chuck a load of ripe yellow lemons straight on top of that what's going to happen within a very very small amount of time all of those lemons are going to turn green and moldy and they're just going to be completely wasted and they're going to make everything else go bad. And that's the same. Yeah, well, It's the same for mental yeah. health, isn't it? Really? Uh, massively. And you know what? Um, were you saying that it's, um, it's also the people around you. Now it is one of those things that if you, if you have elements or people that are bringing you down around you um, and, you know, absorbing all your, your good energy and you're finding, or maybe not realizing that these, these people have, you need to cut those things out. And it, it may seem harsh, um, but if they're doing you no good, why are they in your life? Or, you know, if you're in a job that you, you're totally run down by and you hate it, but you say, you think to yourself, oh, I need the money, you know, don't do it. These things you have to, and it's, it's one of those things I think for chefs, especially, it's very difficult to do because, you know, you want to be good and you don't want to skip from job to job. Um, but sometimes those jobs are, are just demeaning and they're, they're just driving you down. And all they want you for is, is a pair of hands. Uh, and a lot of them just don't care. Uh, and that's where, for myself, I think the industry needs to change. And it is changing. I, I can see it changing because um, the, the bully boy attitude is slowly going out, out the window um, because you, you can't get any good out of a chef if you're constantly bullying them because they're, they're, they become more scared, especially the new younger chefs that are coming up. They want to feel welcome. They want to feel that they're learning things. They don't want to uh, feel that they have to come in work and if they get make a mistake and then they get bullied for it. Um, which unfortunately still happens, um, but I think the more awareness that that we your 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 doings with the Burnt Chef project, um, and that we can sort of I can shed light onto it as well, which I have done blogs on it before, um, is going to help. Um, hopefully, um, 
eventually things will get better. But yeah, um, it's, it's a tough gig all around. Yeah, I mean, a good friend of mine, Adam Adam Simmons, he uh, he uses the analogy of that is trying to turn around a steam line and not a not a dinghy. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you is. know we're we're frantically pushing the front of or the back of the boat at the moment to get it to turn around, but that circle is a massive circle and it's going to take time. Um, yeah. But you know, the more people that we get pushing the back of that boat and and hearing you know, very frank and open stories float from yourself and and thank you for that certainly helps increase the speed of that the speed of that turning yeah. point so you mentioned um journaling how you know how how effective have you found that since and how long have you been doing it for um i've only done it since i, I mean i've been blogging for a while i mean when I, when I was a bit poorly i did stop for a little bit um mentally um poorly i did stop for a bit um but journaling helps because we all have up and down days and you know i you know i i'm i'm aware that i get affected by the moon um and the pressures that i mean a lot it, it happens a lot of people people don't understand you know and whether they believe it or not but it, it does have these the cycles it affects the sea i mean you can see the sea i see it out, outside my window in the morning so when it's when it's a full moon that sea's come up because the pressure's built that same pressure um, is is on your head as well, uh, on on all, all our bodies. So, by journaling, um, I can judge. I mean, and, and even blogging uh, and how I feel at the time when I'm writing, um, I know when those pressures are. And when I'm when I'm journaling, even just for the last week, I read back and I, I literally say how I'm feeling on the morning. I'll, I'll write something down in the afternoon and I'll write something at night and whatever pisses me off in the day, write it down. Um, and then you can always look back and you say, well, why was I beat off at that? Um, uh, and it might sound stupid at the time, but you can keep looking back and looking back and looking at your change of moods throughout, throughout the time you're writing. Um, and not only that, if I can get enough uh, built up over a year, I'll make it into a book and I'll, I'll put that in, it might just help somebody else, whether it helps just one person or else a hundred people. Um, that, that's my goal at the moment. So yeah, it's, it does help a lot. And it just gets this, um, gets it out of your head and it gets onto something physical where you can see it um, and you can keep going back on it. But yeah, it helps a hell of a lot. Even if you, you know, write, you don't have to write loads. It's just little paragraphs here and there. I add pictures to mine because um, I'm mad uh, love photography so i'm always taking pictures uh, so those pictures now I'll, I'll put in my journal and then those those are the moods i'm in at the time that's amazing yeah. i mean i must admit i um it's only over the last couple of months that i've discovered journaling in terms of being able to not just express yourself but to write lists um i i i'm almost at like a perpetual point of burnout so i work i work solo with the burnt chef project and yeah my days are um, pretty heavy and quite long. And so often enough, I go home, I don't integrate with family life very well because I'm too busy thinking about work and I go to bed thinking about work and I wake up and I refresh. What I found with journaling is that I'm able to dump everything out of my head onto something else. And I can then stop trying to forward track myself and stop trying to think, oh, what have I got tomorrow? You know, how, what time am I going to have to get up? How many emails have I got to respond to? Because it's all down on paper. And now I have a clear brain and I can sit and yeah, watch, yeah. you know, watch TV or 
do some cooking or something that actually doesn't require much in the way of my cool. you know process thinking brain and more to do with creativity you know yeah um yeah and that that's the thing as well isn't it um not overloading your system um and you know we're all guilty of, of doing that and that's you know and i go back to my uh, previous marriage um, and that was one of the things you know i totally put myself into my job um and even though it was it was something i needed to do um to hopefully put our family in a, in a better position it was obviously having an effect because I was working away uh, four days a week and then coming home and I was tired and I was always thinking about like what, what can we do next to build things up and, and not writing anything down. It was just, it was all in here. Um, so yeah. And, and trying to fit that much in your brain and do family life and do this and do that. Um, yeah. It, it had, it took its toll on our, on our relationship and we just, it, we just didn't carry on. Um, so on that same point, you have to give yourself time and definitely have to give your family time no matter what um in our, especially in our industry and i love to cook and i was cooking at home but don't make it was like i, I did a, a blog with my friend carl martin um who's now moved to new zealand but he was um you know old downton lodge he was he had four rosettes at old downton lodge and he, he was very very good at what he did but he literally burnt himself out um cooking and when he was eating out with his wife, he, he would just judge everything that was coming and look at the front of the house and not spend, actually spend why he's there with his missus. Um, unfortunately, that broke his marriage as well. So as chefs, we need to learn, I suppose, to have, take that time for yourself. It's very, very important. But, you know, if you love your career, you just got to have those, those two separate things. Yeah, definitely. And at some stage, I am hoping that, uh, and, you know, if anyone's out there, um, to interview and to have some some wives of chefs on and to build an episode around that because yeah. I do think yeah. it's, you know and not just wives you know husbands of, of female chefs as well because I think it's important um, or I should even say wives of wives and husbands of husbands and and you know I think yeah. it's important to be able to look at the impact that the relationship of our trade has on those around us as well and it you know by doing so it may be for uncomfortable listening at times but i think it will help us learn more about how we can adapt and how we can change and modify our behaviors to be able to try and make for a, a better work-life balance um yeah so yeah that's that's you know in the works and you know as, as i say if anyone is listening and they fancy being part of that then please you know we might make it uh make it an episode with multiple people all in one go um, but i think it'd be quite yeah. Quite an insightful, insightful yeah definitely interesting especially to hear it from sort of the other partners um side um and how it's kind of affecting them um because we don't we we don't hear that and as chefs we we literally don't hear that and it's just a it's just one of those things unfortunately uh, but yeah and you know hopefully the industry especially after all what's happened we ev everywhere's learning now that you know um doing the takeouts is, is a big money maker um even if you were working you can still have your restaurant you still do takeouts you don't have to work so many hours um to get the results that you need you know these these 16 hour days that some guys do you're just going to end up killing yourself working those things um, and there's no need so you could have like i was doing i was doing four on three off that's a massive help and, you know, as long as you, you know, you can see that you need to put the hours in on your four, you've got your three days off. 
um, I think the industry kind of needs to look at look at that big time. Yeah, massively. I was chatting to Adam Byatt a couple of weeks ago, and he said that since lockdown, he's turned Trinity uh, into less covers, so that his staff are actually getting a less hours for the same rate of pay, but they're ultimately a lot more happier. Um, the business is a lot more effective and also a lot more profitable at the same time because they're not having to overstaff to cover peaks and troughs in yeah. demand. And it's, it's a, I think we'll see a, a big change on both retention for 2021 and also how businesses perhaps operate uh, for better efficiency. But um, I really appreciate you, you coming on and telling your story and, and, you know, I hope that others out there can resonate with uh, with that story because I think it's it's important to recognise and the very reason why I set this up in the first place is that you know you know you're no more odd or different than the rest of us out there. We're all you know we're all a little bit crazy, we're all a little bit unhinged, irrespective of what industry you work in. It's just uh, those that don't show it tend to make it a lot worse on everyone else. So. I really appreciate that. And it would be unfair to let you go without asking you the, uh, the the question that I ask all of my guests, which is, you know, if you were to travel back in time and give some advice to your 18 year old self, what would you, what would you say? Well, my 18 year old self was a boy. He was in, he was a very naughty boy. Um, I would have said I, I needed to, at that point, find myself way before I did or you know find that career that I was I, I was good at um and it was very difficult at the time so I, I would have said just stay out of trouble and, and focus and that, that would have been it on my 18 year old self because a naughty boy <laughs> it sounds like you're so far removed from that person now hey oh miles away miles away still a bit naughty every now and then <laughs> good man Nicely done, Daryl. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, we've 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 launched the Burnt Chef Support Service. Um, irrespective of whether it's yourself, someone you know, or anyone that's listening to this, if you do want to use that, um, you know, it's it's bought and paid for. So please use and abuse it. It's available twenty four hours a day, um, and all you have to do is text Burnt Chef to eight five two five eight. But thank you ever so much for joining us and. Uh, appreciate your time and please rest up look after yourself and we'll see you on the other side no worries and thanks for having me take care you're welcome mate cheers for that thank you bye well that was another episode of the burnt chef journal thanks to daryl who discussed with us quite openly his own experiences of ill mental health as well as his road to recovery It's quite refreshing to hear such open and honest conversation, which hopefully will help some of you who've also heard it. If you've been affected by any of the things that we've discussed today, then please do use the Burnt Chef support service. It's free and available 24 hours a day. Just text Burnt Chef to 85258 and a trained volunteer will help you. If you want to support the Burnt Chef Project, please head over to our website, www.theburntchefproject.com, where you can find a whole host of merchandise, and we use those profits to support our ongoing work. Thank you, and we'll see you again soon.